0: Welcome back to the most accurate podcast here at 444 Football. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle, ahead of today's Week 5 Already preview show. Joined, as always, for this show, none other than the man himself, who has the Week 5 rankings out for everyone at 444.com. It is John Paulson. Paulson, friend in life, how are you doing?
1: Doing pretty well. Uh, excited to be past the one-quarter portion of the season, but actually it's not quite because we've got 17 weeks of fantasy now. But we're getting close to one quarter.
0: Nearly one quarter out of the way, Sam, which is more than how many good tight ends there are in fantasy football. Sam Hoppin, of course, director of analytics here at 44.com. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing well. It is uh yeah, I don't I don't know if I'm glad to be a quarter of the way through. It's just kind of wild that it's already going by this fast, but that happens every single year. So nothing different.
0: Lots to talk about for everyone on today's show since we experienced the first true injury plethora, a massacre across the leagues, so lots of pivots and fallouts to discuss ahead of week five rankings, but before we begin, I just want to quickly remind everyone that I tried to stop corporate from giving discounts on everything for the rest of the season, but this week, everything, all subs, whether it be DFS... Redraft for Paulson's rankings and projections, my waiver wire column, which is out on the site every Monday afternoon. Everything is being discounted 25% off. So feel free to join us if you have just been thinking about it to this point of the season. Still lots of actionable fantasy football content left to give out. Let's get into... Some injury fallouts for Thursday night, gentlemen, because Paulson, for the Broncos running backs, what we saw with Javante Williams suffering a torn ACL and now being out for the year is OC for the Denver Broncos come out and mention that Melvin Gordon will be the team's featured back moving forward, and that's what we expect, him to lead the team in touches. The issue is that it was still Mike Boone, who in this game at least, When Javante Williams, left injured, ran a route on roughly 45% of the team's dropbacks as their pass-catching back, had a drop on fourth down. Cecil Lammy, Broncos reporter, mentioned that the team doesn't trust him in pass pro anyways. And then, of course, they go and poach Latavius Murray from New Orleans' practice squad after Murray has a successful rushing day in Alvin Kamara's place for the Saints in London. Short turnaround here on Thursday. So more importantly, how are you ranking these running backs for Thursday night, knowing that someone might be in a pinch trying to replace Javante Williams off the waiver wire immediately?
1: Well, for Thursday night, since it's such a quick turnaround and Latavius is probably still looking for his apartment, uh, I don't see a big role for him. Uh, If it was a normal week, maybe he could kind of work into the number two role. But I think even you know, even with that Boone has the leg up in terms of being around for quite a bit longer. So uh, I'm ranking it, uh, Gordon Boone and Murray for this week. And then I think long-term it's Gordon, uh, then a pretty good gap and then Murray and then a small gap to Boone. Cause we just don't know, you know, Boone has looked good at times. Um, but at the same time, Latavius is more proven player has, has been a fancy asset for a lot of years, uh, when he's been healthy and, Uh, through his days, uh, you know, in his younger, in his 20s. But I I don't – I think long-term you're looking at probably a 60-40 or a 60-30-10 split um, with these three, and I think uh, Gordon is certainly the one to have. If he keeps fumbling, though, you know, anything can happen. Five fumbles
0: in Bevan Gordon's last five appearances in the NFL – Whereas Latavius Murray has one fumble on his last 652 touches going all the way back to 2018. I imagine that's why he got brought in. And Sam, that's why rest of season, if you ask me to bet on one, I still think Latavius Murray has a much greater shot to take over the backfield, even though I do think it's going to be a timeshare, than Mike Boone. How are you treating them rest of season? Melvin Gordon, of course, not a free agent on waiver wires. Uh, Everyone will be starting him in week 12. Week five.
2: I I would agree with you. I think long-term Latavius has the best shot to potentially win out and become, you know, have the number two role to himself. Again, Mike Boone has been on that team for a little bit longer, but the fact that they brought in Murray so quickly after the injury news to Javante is, I think, indicative of the fact that they're going to want to get him involved quickly. Now, again, for this week, I think it's it's a little tough to start him, especially given uh, how poor the Broncos offense has looked at times this year. They've been able to move the ball into the red zone, but once they get into the red zone, it's been a bit of a struggle. And I believe the Broncos rank uh, yeah, 30th in rushing EPA per play. So they have not been effective on the ground, regardless. So I, I would lean Latavius Murray over Mike Boone, rest of season.
0: I also want to discuss what happened with the Falcons running backs. Cordero Patterson now out for at least the next four games on IR. Damian Williams, currently on R, could return in a couple of weeks once he's eligible to. And then, of course, left over is Tyler Algier and Caleb Huntley, both who are available in a majority of Yahoo and Sleeper Leagues. issue for me, though, Paulson, that's why I'm curious to get your thoughts, how you would rank them this week, is that this Falcons schedule is absolutely brutal, which is why I haven't been treating the Falcons running backs on the waiver column that seriously, because not only the Bucks this week, but then we move forward, and it's nightmarish matchups against... Oh, the schedule just exited my screen. Go ahead and talk about this week and I'll pull up the schedule.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, they've got Tampa this week, the 49ers next week. Bingo. Uh, the week after they've got Cincy and are 23rd, just a fancy points allowed to running back. So that's not a bad matchup, but you're kind of looking at two bad matchups. Uh, the chiefs running backs did pretty well against the bucks last week. So there is that sort of, you know, story you could tell yourself um, to quote our friend, Chris Allen. Uh, I think um, you know, heading into the season, we didn't know for sure what was gonna happen with this backfield, and then week one began and it looked like it was going to be Cordero Patterson and Damian Williams uh to start. Uh if I remember correctly, Algier was uh a healthy scratch that week, week one. Um he didn't carry it, touch the ball, so I think he was actually I think he was actually a scratch. So uh Williams injured his hamstring, he went on IR. So he's not due back this week, but he might be back next week if I understand that correctly. So I don't know if he's still viewed as ahead of the rookie um, when when he does come back. But the rookie's played pretty well, Algier. Uh, 5.35 yards per attempt. Uh, He's had a couple catches, one for five yards, one for 20 yards. Uh, Had a decent game last week with 104 total yards. Uh, against Cleveland, who are 30th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to running back. So this is not like a a situation to get super excited about, I don't think, because we just don't know where Damian Williams fits into the uh, scenario. And uh, I think he's worth an add, um, but I wouldn't be excited or want to use him in the next two weeks.
0: And that's my concern, Sam. In the last three games with Tyler, Tyler Algier active, he has ran at least six routes per game. He has been used behind Cordero Patterson as a backup pass catching option, where now Caleb Huntley has been active in two of four games. He's totaled two routes, strictly a between-the-tackles bruiser. And I do wonder if people are hyping him for recency bias just because he scored a touchdown this past game, even though Algier was the more explosive pl- player and outperformed him on as many carries. Are you doing anything with this backfield, not only this week, but rest of season? I
2: do think rest of season and, and this week obviously counts toward that. Towards that, and he won't be able to use Damian Williams. But I give the edge to to him rest of the season. I think week one sort of told us a lot about how they're going to treat that depth chart with uh, scratching Tyler Algier. And the thing I would caution against this to, against you know any picking up any of these guys is the Falcons have had a negative pass rate over expectation in every single game this year, which typically is great for running backs, but it is, it could be potentially be a three headed monster. Plus you have Marcus Mariota taking carries away from the other, the other running backs. So I do think that again, if I had to pick up one, it would be Damian Williams. And especially if I don't need a running back right now, now, there are obviously people, there are people with who had Cordero Patterson and Javante Williams, who we just mentioned, that need to add one. And I do I do lean Algier for this week and going forward. So I guess I'd rank them Williams, Algier, Huntley moving forward, but they're all, I think, well outside the top 30 running backs moving forward.
0: Marcus Mariota, who is trending to become the first quarterback to average over eight carries per game and not be usable at all in fantasy the real showcase here on Thursday night though Paulson is what to do in place of Jonathan Taylor since we're not expecting him to play he was DMP Tuesday Frank Reich is being ominous about the situation saying the team is uncertain about his health I'm going to guess he absolutely does not play and so what we have left over is Naheem Hines which is why I'm curious where you ranked him this week for everyone as a replacement. And Reich mentioned Phillip Lindsey in particular. Deion Jackson has been available in every game this year, active over Philip Lindsay, but Jackson also has played 50% of the team's special team snaps. That's why he only has two touches. So how many touches do you think Phillip Lindsey will receive behind Naheem Hines where do you have both of them ranked?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think this is a situation where Hines leads the the backfield in touches. He's going to have a pretty big passing game role, even though, you know, it's been a little spotty here and there uh, this season. Uh, The one game that we have uh, to look at in the last two years with Jonathan Taylor uh, inactive, I believe Hines had 18 touches in that game, Um, and he didn't find the end zone, but he caught—I think he caught eight passes. Uh, but yeah, this makes sense though to elevate Lindsay, who's probably a bit better between the tackles runner and have him take some of that rushing load off of heinz and then let a Hines operate as a passing down back but he's going to pick up some snaps because taylor was being taylor's playing a lot of snaps and was being used on a lot of routes as well that's not Lindsay's forte we've seen Lindsay <laughs> drop passes over the years uh, that's not his game so uh, I do expect a pretty big PPR game out of, out of Hines, but I don't have him ranked terribly high. I have him at 30 in half PPR. And that, that sort of makes him usable, uh, but not somebody you're running out to start unless you're desperate, which I think a lot of owners or a lot of fantasy managers are getting a little desperate with some of these run, running back injuries that we're, we're seeing. And, and I think Hines does have some uh, touchdown ability as well in the red zone if, if Matt Ryan looks his way as opposed to throwing it to Wally Cox uh, 10 times.
0: Jonathan Taylor, Sam, also handled 87% of the team's backfield touches this past week. If he's out, is this a situation where you may be trying to swoop in and trade for him to a league mate desperate for running backs? Is there anything you're seeing in Jonathan Taylor's usage outside of just being Jonathan Taylor that makes you want to be high on him rest of season?
2: I do. I mean, he, is, he basically owns the backfield right now Uh, all the reports coming into the season where they were going to continue to use Naeem Hines I think you know sort of use him to spell Jonathan Taylor but Hines has eight total carries on the season compared to I believe 81 for Jonathan Taylor Jonathan Taylor is running more routes as well the targets haven't totally been there he's had he had seven targets in week one but then has had one five and three targets in each of the last three weeks so this is certainly as good of a buy-low opportunity on Jonathan Taylor as you're going to get. Again, having the the short week and higher risk of him not playing, given that. And the the Colts offense, again, similar to the Broncos, has just not looked great in the first several games of the season. And Taylor is getting extremely high usage. And I think if he's out, it's a pretty clear definition of roles between Lindsay being sort of the between the tackles guy like Paulson mentioned and Hines being the pass catching guy because so, something happened this offseason where they just don't either they don't trust or don't want to trust Hines carrying the ball.
1: I would add that the offensive line has been the issue for the Colts. I was looking at the adjusted line yards at football outsiders. They're 31st this year in adjusted line yards after a seventh place finish last year so a big disparity big drop off in uh run blocking for whatever reason uh, with that indianapolis line so that to me doesn't it doesn't really knock jonathan taylor down too much but it's, he's not running behind a really effective offensive line right now when he does come back i want to
0: discuss some matchups here in week five because i know a lot of people have questions about what to do with aaron Rodgers. QB 25 in fantasy points per game and hasn't finished any higher than QB 12 in any game individually this year. Russell Wilson, who is the QB 13 in fantasy points per game this season, but has lacked a ceiling in this offense, this sluggish, slow-paced offense, and then loses one of the most explosive players in this unit. And then, of course, for Matthew Stafford, who six interceptions... Also not reaching a ceiling. Tyler Higby, who doesn't get upfield, is a second receiver. Stafford, five of his six interceptions this year have come from a clean pocket, so it's actually his fault. You can also blame the offensive line. And meanwhile, Jared Goff and Geno Smith are doing nothing but performing and hitting their ceilings because their offenses are elevating them weekly. So, Paulson, let's talk about what to do with these aging quarterbacks right now, knowing that Goff and Geno are actually out there for people to start this week.
1: Uh, yeah, it's interesting. The QB two ranks. Um, I'm, I'm I'm still pretty high in Aaron Rodgers. He's he had the really bad week one, and then has had three straight games with 16 plus fantasy points. Uh, he he's pretty much a shoe in to throw two touchdowns every week. Uh, so I, and I he's just barely getting to know his his receivers, and you know Dobbs is is showing up, and Lazard's back. So I think it's uh I think things are going to trend up for him. Um, and he's got his best matchup of the week or best matchup of the year this week with the, the Giants, your 22nd and just points allowed to quarterbacks. So I, I have him ranked inside the top 10. But after that, it's a little dicey. I agree that, you know, Stafford against Dallas, their third and just points allowed to quarterbacks. Uh, he hasn't looked great. Uh, Gino has been been great. Uh, the interesting thing with Gino and Jared Goff is that they're facing traditionally good defenses in the Saints and the Patriots. But this year, the Saints are 14th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks, and the the Patriots are 20th. Um, But I think a little bit of that has to do with how bad Rodgers played in week one, so they're not getting credit uh, for what they did against Rodgers in week four uh, with the way those numbers work. So um, I'm a little leery on Goff still. I think he had a really nice matchup last week. I think if he gets Amon Ross St. Brown back, that's huge for him. Um, but if those if he's still throwing to to Hawkinson and Josh Reynolds primarily, I think the, the Patriots will do a better job containing him. And then Smith, uh, you know, in the dome, I think is pretty good with against the against the Saints. Uh, they're 14th, as I mentioned, against quarterbacks, and they're coming off of that London trip, so they might be a little bit jet lagged and, and tired from that whole trip. Um, he's obviously got two really good receivers in Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, and you know he's finding Will Disley pretty much every week for a touchdown, uh, and he runs a little bit, so he's actually performed pretty pretty well. So I could see uh, starting both of them over Stafford. Uh, you know, and then you can get into conversations about Derek Carr with a you know shootout potential against the Chiefs. Russell Wilson, who finally you know played well uh, fantasy wise against Vegas, he's got uh, a pretty good matchup against the Colts. Um, but I think it's I think it's uh, tough because these you know. 9 through 16 uh, are are, are tough ranks this week.
0: Sam, any thoughts on 9 through 16 this week? Where does Geno Smith and Jared Goff fit for you? Again, knowing that they can be plucked off waiver wires. I also think I didn't mention him, but if Jameis Winston's healthy, uh, even in coming back from London, I think it's a pretty sweet spot against the Seahawks.
2: For sure. Uh, Paulson took pretty much all of my talking points on on Geno Smith, so I won't get into him. I mean, Stafford has been not great i've seen him get dropped in a number of leagues they play dallas who is third in adjusted fantasy points allowed this week and has been an exceptional defense thus far you know they've had a a slightly better schedule or easier schedule but again the adjusted part of that uh adjust for that schedule which is nice so i would lead smith over stafford i think the rest of the rankings, you know, I've got them up here. Look good to me. I I would probably even put golf over Stafford, given just how many points that Detroit team is scoring. And to to Paulson's other point is the Patriots' defense just doesn't sort of look like its old self. So I I'm downgrading Stafford a bit. Outside of Cooper Cup, they they really don't have anything in the way of the passing game. Tyler higby has been uh, a nice. Player, but he's his fantasy value has been thriving on his targets and not necessarily anything else. So, I I think if you have Stafford, there are certainly better options available on your waiver wire.
0: Let's discuss Josh Jacobs, who everyone, of course, is starting if they roster him. But how do we view him rest of season, Paulson? For everyone to give them a gauge on trades, whether they are trying to trade high on him or perhaps even buy high on him? Because what we've seen since week two, last three games for the Raiders, is Jacobs handled 71 of 81 running back touches and averaged an 11% target share in that span. Most recently, this past week, ran a route on a season-high 72% of Derek Carr's dropbacks because they have basically phased out every other running back in this offense. So how do you view Josh Jacobs both this week and rest of season?
1: Yeah, and that's not what we were really expecting with Josh McDaniels coming in uh, with New England's, uh, you know, the back the backfield New England was a constant uh, guessing game. Uh, But he's basically decided that uh, Jacobs is the I don't know if it's a bell cow. Maybe he's getting towards bell cow status, but definitely lead back status Uh, doesn't appear that Zemir White is ready to really dig into his workload. Uh, Brandon Boland gets a handful of snaps here and there, uh, and uh, Amir Abdullah is kind of an afterthought right now. Even though uh, when he has touched the ball, he's looked pretty good. Um, so I, I view him as a, a you know an RB two uh, rest of season, and you could certainly make a case for him, you know, in the low teens, you know, that seventeen to twenty range uh, alongside Damian Pierce, uh, Edward tolair Miles Sanders, uh, Brees Hall, who's trending up, uh, AJ Dillon, I think, and then Damian Harris. I think he's in in that group and probably getting towards the top of that group, given his, uh, you know, certainty of workload.
0: Sam, any thoughts on buying high on Jacobs right now, perhaps your team with a good team with multiple pieces that you can then send for a two to one, three to one deal, knowing that those good pieces are not starting on your amazing team. Anyhow.
2: I, I do think that's a a good option. I, I certainly wouldn't be selling high on Josh Jacobs. I'd be, I'd much rather be, on the buying end of things, you know, there's a, a question in the, the chat that we had about Jacobs versus James Robinson rest of season. And I think Jacobs has an opportunity to maintain his workload through the different game scripts. Like you mentioned, his route run percentage is, is jumping up and there's nobody else who's taking away carries from Josh Jacobs at the point at this point, he, he, is second in the league behind uh, the aforementioned Jonathan Taylor in the percent of his team's carries that he's gotten at 78.7%. He is one of just two running backs to have every single one of his teams carries inside the opponent's 10-yard line, which is just huge from a potential ceiling standpoint. And so I think, again, I, I really like Jacob's rest of season Again, I think we've talked about it a couple times on this podcast already this year. It's tough to get over the priors that I think I've had and a lot of other people had of him just being a bust from an NFL perspective because he wasn't given his 50-year, 50-year option and just hasn't looked great. But he's been a solid player this year and is getting, getting the opportunity and opportunity is king in fantasy football, especially for the running back position.
0: Someone who is getting opportunity, but it's not mattering at all, is Allen Robinson, as he's he's run just seven fewer routes than Cooper Cup on the season. But again, Tyler Higby is this team's second receiver, basically. So, Paulson, are are we at a position now, not only where we're ranking Allen Robinson perhaps as a wide receiver four or five, but is he droppable in shallow leagues in your mind?
1: Um, You're getting there. Uh, I have him ranked 49th. This week against Dallas, which is kind of a tough matchup. Uh, as you mentioned, the you know the fundamentals there are still fairly strong. I mean, I think he saw six, six targets this last week, uh, including some end zone targets. But he's just not uh, driving very well with Stafford or within this offense, and it might take some time. Uh, again, you know, you're just looking at this compared to whoever's out of there on the waiver wire, and you know, having the number two option in the Rams passing game would normally be, uh, somebody you'd want to have on your roster, but right now that's Tyler Higby, Uh, and Robinson just hasn't gotten going. Uh, he had the one game where he might've caught two touchdowns, if not for a penalty or a timeout that uh, kind of erased the second one. Um, we're getting to the point where it certainly depends on the league format and stuff where you might, might cut him because it's just, it's been kind of a, uh, Quagmire trying to get any fancy points out of him, and it's just uh, not looking too positive. I mean, I think generally speaking, though, you know, Sean McVay, coach, Matthew Stafford, quarterback, uh, Robinson in the number two or three role, you would want to have that that player rostered.
0: Anything on Robinson's usage, Sam, that makes you want to believe for the rest of the season? Higby, of course, 24% target share. Matthew Stafford does lead the league in completion rate under pressure, but it's because Higby has a depth of target so he's literally just dumping it off and then of course it's Higby he's not getting upfield at all so like I don't really weigh that much into Stafford's explosiveness under pressure
2: the the one thing I will know is per next gen stats Allen Robinson has averaged about 2.2 yards of separation on his targets and that's 14th worst among all players he just doesn't really look like himself. They, they've given him a couple of end zone targets, but each of those times he has been just blanketed by the cornerback. And I think at this point, if you have Allen Robinson on your team, you have likely found another better option to plug in at wide receiver or flex that if you need the running back depth, again, we've talked about all of these injuries. If you need the depth, Allen Robinson, I would not, really have any issues cutting at this point i think it's it's one of those guys who could be uh, i'm trying to think of like the the term for it but like people see him on the waiver wire it's like oh my gosh you, you dropped Allen robinson but what has he done like he hasn't done anything and yes the routes run are there but what is it going to take for you to trust starting him at this point and because i don't think one week of of solid usage is enough. It's going to take several weeks. So I certainly would have no qualms with with people, again, especially in shallower leagues, dropping Alan Robinson and trying to find a better option.
0: Someone that we can't drop Paulson and we're pretty much stuck with, well, is the whole tight end landscape, but also Darren Waller, uh, who is still not delivering in fantasy points. So I'm curious to get your thoughts on where to rank Waller this week or how you're viewing Waller as a player this week? And is there anything you're noticing that should continue to make us higher on him rest of season?
1: Yeah, it's been kind of a disappointment with Hunter Renfro out that he hasn't, you know, stepped up more than what he has. Uh, He had had the good start to the season, four for 79 on six targets in week one, six for 50 and a touchdown in week two on eight targets. Uh, But since then against Tennessee and Denver, just five targets in each game. Uh, three catches in each game for under 25 yards both games uh, even though he's playing 73 80 percent of the snaps Uh, I think it you know if you have Waller you just kind of have to start him and hope unless you have a better option at tight end but how many better options are there really out there historically other than Darren Waller he's starting to like look to me like more of a mid-range tight end one I mean I do have him at four like it's just between him and Ertz and Higby and Kittle and Goddard—it's just kind of a you know take your pick. Uh, this is a week where the Raiders may throw the ball more than they'd like against Kansas City. They're 21st just a fantasy points allowed to tight ends, so there does have a little bit of shootout potential where he may have to lean. Uh, Derek Carr may have to lean on Waller more than more than he has, but you know absolutely with Renfro out, I would be expecting a lot more in terms of usage uh, than, than Waller has seen over the last couple of weeks.
2: Paulson, I have a a question for you. Who would you rather have rest of season TJ Hawkinson who just had a massive week or Darren
1: Waller? Well, that's, I mean, <laughs> did I, I still stop have you? Waller? No, no, I, no, I still have Waller. I had, I had to pull up my rest of season rankings. Because I want to make sure everything matches, but I had Waller. I still have Waller. I had a Hawkinson. I think Hawkinson's, I mean, I like TJ Hawkinson, uh, but he's been, you know quiet whenever. Fairly quiet. Whenever Amon Ross St. Brown has been healthy, obviously he had a giant, giant game last week. Does that lead to, you know, six, seven targets per game in that offense? That'd be great. Uh, I think then that if we knew that, I think you could move Hawkinson up to maybe even tight end three. Um, tight end, yeah, because it's like I've got Andrews and Kelsey well above, and then you've got Goddard, Waller, Pitts, Kittle, Hawkinson, Ertz, Fryermuth. So. I think that second tier, really easy to move guys around there and and, uh, sort of tell yourself a story about how the rest of the season is going to go. My concern with Hawkinson is that his targets are going to dry up once Amon Ross St. Brown comes back.
0: I agree, especially if Chark comes back as well. Uh, Josh Reynolds available on a majority of waiver wires if both are ruled out yet again. Let's discuss Brandon Ayuk, though, because what we've seen now is Brandon Ayuk has reached a – Well, Brandon Ayuk, two games prior to this past game, 30% target share from Jimmy Garoppolo, and then plummeted for 15% target share in week four. George Kittle, of course, backed the last two games as well. So Sam, let's start with you here. What are you doing with Brandon Ayuk, who is basically taking up everyone's bench and not delivering a ceiling we thought he could reach?
2: I do think he is a potential buy low candidate right now. Hmm. I think I, you know, thinking about it, I might rather have Ayuk more than Robinson rest of season. And this is with that, like, this is just a, a gut call right here. But over the last two weeks, the the first two weeks with Jimmy Garoppolo under center, the 49ers have actually been right around even and pass right over expectations. So passing about as much as we would expect, which is different than both the first two weeks and what they've historically been. And Ayuk is still running a ton of routes. He actually leads the team in route run percent at 95.8%. Doesn't have a single week under 90% this season and is being used as that team's deep threat. He has 32.2% of the team's yards right now for a 10.6 average depth of target. That's giving him a 0.53 whopper, which is, is pretty good for a player like him. So I think, you know, George Kittle not being involved is the sort of the big question I would have is, well, does George Kittle get more involved? And if he does, does he start taking more opportunities from Ayuk? But Ayuk certainly in a position where again, his usage looks good. He's actually getting the targets and has been able to make something out of those targets.
0: Let's move on to a few of your charts, Sam, that you brought from everyone who joins us every Wednesday live at 1 p.m. Eastern on YouTube. And let's discuss J.K. Dobbins to start, who of course returned, had two touchdowns in the mix, Kenyon Drake also healthy scratch for the second consecutive game. How are you viewing JK Dobbins in this Ravens backfield right now?
2: I do think JK Dobbins is a a, a sell high candidate for me. This chart here is looking at the average number of high value touches that they give their running backs each week. If you're not familiar, a high value touch is a carry inside the opponent's 10 yard line and any reception that they get. So typically teams with, you know, and this is the part of the concern I had with the Falcons. They're barely giving their running backs high value touches. So that's, that's the concern I have. But this past week, J.K. Dobbins Dobbins had eight high value touches, which is the most in a single game for a Ravens running back since Lamar became the starter. And we see with, with the Falcons, with the Seahawks, they're lower on the end of the on this list because they have quarterbacks who have a bit of a rushing a rushing ability. And so it's a little bit shocking to see the Ravens sort of in the middle of the pack because they're usually further down this list. So the two touchdowns in in week four was certainly nice from Dobbins, but he still has only gotten. 30% and 42% of the team's carries. Now that's not running back carries. That's total carries because Lamar is taking up so much of that, but he's also only been playing on 50% of the team snaps in the last two weeks. He does not really have a role in the passing game. It sort of looks like justice Hill might, might have that he's playing on 56% of the team's third down snaps to just 12% for Dobbins. So I I do not trust J.K. Dobbins and what he did in week four to extend through the rest of the year.
0: And my only short-term concern for that, Paulson, would be we did see Justice Hill leave with a non-contact injury, looked like a hamstring strain. We haven't heard anything else about it just yet. We'll wait for practice reports. But we still have Gus Edwards returning in what we assume will be a game or two. So what are you doing with both Gus Edwards and Dobbins moving forward?
1: Well, I think in the short term, Dobbins looks pretty good with with uh, Hill banged up. We don't know when Edwards is going to be back. They don't seem interested in playing Mike Davis at all. Uh, so I think Dobbins has a pretty sizable workload um, in the short term. Uh, I think do, when Edwards does come back, if he looks anything like his usual self, then you're, we're probably getting back into that Uh, committee where Dobbins is leading a sort of 60-40, 55-45 type split. And then you have Lamar Jackson, you know, vulturing some uh, touchdown carries as well. Uh, A couple of the things I noticed from this chart that I thought kind of stood out, uh, the Bills uh, way up there at four in high value touches per game. Uh, You know, Sam was talking about the rushing ability of some of these quarterbacks and these teams tend to, you know, not give their uh, running backs, these high-value touches, and obviously uh, Josh Allen is maybe the best or one of the best rushing quarterbacks in the game. Seeing them at four uh, leads me to Devin Singletary, who has really got a stranglehold on that backfield now. James Cook is an afterthought. Uh, Zach Moss's uh, playing time has actually been reduced, and all of a sudden you have Singletary in sort of the the bell cow role that we saw him uh, in middle to late of last season. And then uh, the Washington commanders there with Brian Robinson coming back uh, makes me wonder uh, you know how quickly he'll get back into that RB1 role that we were expecting him to take uh, when he was shot Uh, we'll see they're going to ramp him up I guess this week and see if he can uh, uh, be activated but uh, he's back at practice Uh, and then also the the Broncos there Melvin Gordon uh, you know if he gets a 70 percent touch share they're at six there in the high value touches he jumps out as a you know, a player that, you know, obviously Latavius Murray can win that job. It's a whole nother story, but, you know, Gordon right now we think is going to be that guy. And uh, if he does get 70% of those touches in that backfield, it's going to be pretty productive.
0: Singletary, of course, has out-touched Zach Moss 33-8 to the past two games as the team's bell cow, essentially. Uh, For Brian Robinson, though, Sam, how do you view this backfield moving forward? We saw on Sunday that Jonathan Williams got two touches to Antonio Gibson's four on the team's, opening drive, two snaps to Gibson's four on the team's opening drive, and now Gibson's snaps have actually decreased in every game this year, leading to a season-low 41% snap rate in Week 4. Now, the past two games also, we need context because they played the Eagles and Cowboys, and Carson Wentz was an absolute mess. So they were a negative game script. It makes sense that Antonio Gibson doesn't have that role because he's never had that role under Ron Rivera. But, as Paulson mentioned, Robinson coming back. So what are you doing with this backfield?
2: I do. I do think that the the game script is certainly a a big part of it. Antonio Gibson is averaging about five high value touches per game. JD McKissick 4.8. So both about the same workload, but they're very different types of high value touches. JD McKissick's mostly coming in the passing game for sure. But all off season, we heard about them wanting to sort of plunge Brian Robinson into this starting role and, Essentially, relegate Antonio Gibson to backup duty. So I think I think JD McKissick's role is fine and is stable where it's at, and he'll benefit a little bit more if the Commanders continue to have a negative game script. But I do think that Gibson and Robinson start to split some of the the rushing work specifically. I mean it's a it's a miracle that he's coming back this soon. I think it's a, an incredible story. And I do think that if there is an opportunity, I don't know if you're selling high necessarily on Gibson, but if you want to try to trade Gibson to one of these running back needy teams that we've talked about, then there might be an opportunity because again, based on everything we've heard, it sounds like he's going, Robinson is going to be heavily involved.
0: Is that how you view them rest of season as well? Even if Robinson isn't active in week five, Paulson Robinson, then Gibson, the McKissick.
1: Yeah, I mean, this was headed towards the Robinson-led backfield with McKissick probably uh, as the third down back and Gibson as just the straight RB2 uh, prior to the uh, gunshots that uh, Brian Robinson uh, took. So I don't know how quickly he'll be back into that, headed towards that role, but I think that was the desire. And, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, I think you quoted a news item that they just didn't have a... Uh, timetable for Robinson. I think when you when you hear that, you think, oh, this is long-term. But they're just not telling us the timetable, apparently, because he was back or he's back this week in terms of getting involved in practice and, and starting to ramp up. But it might be two or three weeks before they feel like he's ready to sort of take the role that he was in. I think conditioning has got to be a huge thing for him. I, I, he couldn't have been doing much running during this uh, recovery. Uh, so, uh, you know, I would expect a committee, he might get a few touches this week and then start to ramp up if if he's even active this week. So, it's, I mean, I think Gibson has, a you know, another week or two where he could have some good production, but, um, you know, he's going to turn into a pumpkin here pretty soon.
0: And I still question if Robinson will have this role in negative game script as the pass catcher back over McKissick since McKissick is great at that and we expect this team and how bad they are with Carson Wentz to perpetually be in negative game scripts perhaps taking Robinson off the field so I I don't want to tout him too much as like an RB two rest of season like a lot of people seem to be doing you have notes on Devonta Smith for us Sam a chart as well as AJ Brown has not seen any lower than a 25% target share in any game this year, as Eagles wide receiver one, Devonta Smith suffered a little bit of an ankle tweak this past game, came off the field for a little bit, but still 16% target share, uh, had those explosive week two and week three performances. How do you see the Eagles passing game and Devonta Smith in particular right now?
2: Yeah, so the chart we've got up now shows each team's individual passing rate over expectation by week. And there are a couple of teams we're going to talk about here whose week four pass rate over expectation sort of very differently from their pass rate over expectation for through the first three weeks. And the Eagles are one of them. They dropped significantly in week four against the Jaguars. And it was, there was some weather implications with this. It was raining. Um, You know, the Eagles got down two scores pretty quickly, but By the middle of the third quarter, they were in control of that game. Now, even though they threw the ball only 25 times, they ran it 50 times in this game. A.J. Brown still had a solid day. He caught five catches for 95 yards. But again, Devonta Smith only had three catches for 17 yards, like you said. Left the game a little bit early, uh, but came back. I think you should be buying Devonta Smith and starting him with confidence going forward. The Eagles, I think, through the first three weeks showed us that they're, they're not going to run the ball as much as they had last year. Now, we still have yet to see what a competitive game against the Eagles looks like because they've been in control for most of their games. But Devonta Smith is still running a route on nearly every snap, has not run a route on fewer than 92.7 percent of the team's dropbacks in a single game this year he's clearly the team's wide receiver too so i i think he's certainly a great buy low if he can if someone was scared by his performance this past week
0: sharp football's rich rebar also noted that jalen hurts hasn't thrown or rushed for a touchdown in the second half of any game yet this year because the Eagles' schedule is too easy they just haven't been pushed at all in the second half, so we actually haven't seen AJ Brown, Devonta Smith, and Jalen Hurts reach their ceilings just yet. Anything else stand out to you in this chart, Paulson?
1: Uh, I think it's interesting to see the Buccaneers. Um, yeah. I know they they played the 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 Chiefs and the uh, the Packers last two weeks, uh, trailing in most of those games. But you know, as that receiving core gets healthy, um they start They start to get back to their, you know, past happy ways. They're not running the ball particularly well either. Uh, I think Leonard Fournette and uh, Rashad White had six carries combined in a recent game. Uh, and so I think Chris Godwin is getting back to kind of being a must-start after, you know, I think getting through this last week unscathed, playing a lot of snaps, seeing a lot of targets. Uh, hopefully he's fully healthy now. Uh, and he had an extra couple of weeks there for – his uh, his knee to heal as well, so um, you know I've got him ranked to twenty one this week, thinking that he's going to get back to his usual ways.
0: A season high route run on eighty six percent of Tom Brady's dropbacks this past week. Sam, how do you view the Bucks wide receivers moving forward?
2: I I do think, like Paulson said, if if Godwin is playing, you're you're going to want to start him. This was, I think, the first week that the Bucks had all of their big pass catchers playing and again it was against the Chiefs they were trailing for the majority of it but pass rate over expectation takes some of that game script aspect out of it and again I don't I don't remember seeing them rush the ball once in the second half of that game so I do think that this is more indicative of what they're going to be Rest of season, they play the Falcons this upcoming week, so that could be a a game in which they're in a positive game script. But I do think you should bump up the Bucks receivers a little bit from where they had been the first couple weeks. the The health is obviously a concern. Uh, I believe I saw before the show that Cole Beasley did retire just out of the blue, so he is you know he wasn't a huge factor, but. That's that's another player that that they're not going to have. So, um, Scotty Miller again, I think is someone else to watch out for potentially. But I think a a slight bump and upgrade for these Bucks wide receivers going forward.
1: Yeah, if I could, if I could add, the upcoming schedule is really juicy. Atlanta twenty eighth and just a fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks or to uh, to receivers. Uh, Pittsburgh twenty fourth, Carolina eighteenth, Baltimore twenty fifth, and the Rams. 30th. Uh, they don't play a team inside the top 10 in uh, a wide receiver, adjusted fancy points allowed until week 15 when they play the, the Bengals who are third. Now those numbers can change, but really a juicy upcoming schedule for Tom Brady and uh, those Tampa receivers.
0: And I will be curious this week, how this offense operates since as we mentioned uh, pass rate over expectation tries to take, These game script situations out of it, but again, the Bucks trailed fourteen three against the Packers and twenty one three against the Chiefs, so they didn't really have any choice but to throw. Um, We'll see what happens between Fournette and all of these receivers. You also have notes on the Jets receivers, Sam, because we saw Zach Wilson come back and Corey Davis then. lead the team in targets with a 19.4% target share. Davis also has now played six full games with Zach Wilson. Garrett Wilson obviously wasn't available for this team last year, but Corey Davis has averaged seven targets and a 20% target share from Wilson in those six games. My uh, Garrett Wilson came in with six targets, 16.5% target share. And then Elijah Moore, who continues running the most routes on this team, just four targets and an 11% target share from Zach Wilson. What are you doing with with these receivers who I think will just have ebbs and flows and will never actually start and sit the correct one each week?
2: You're probably right. You you mentioned a lot of this stuff. Corey Davis is running a route, excuse me, ran a route on 73% of dropbacks, both Wilson and Moore were at or above 90% in the game this, this past week. But you see again here on the chart that they threw, they did not throw the ball as much as you would expect. And, you know, they were in a a negative game script for, for part of it. I mean, it it was pretty much within a one score game, most of it. And it's just interesting to see that with Zach Wilson coming back and playing a Steelers defense that they that hasn't been nearly as good as they had in the past so I think if they're you know I think we talked about Elijah Moore a little bit last week and him being a potential buy I think that window is still open since he he didn't have a massive game I've seen a couple people pick Corey Davis up off of waiver wire I would not trust him to start for sure I think his his weeks are going to fluctuate a lot more than Wilson and Moore, and will sort of be the third guy between them once it all gets figured out so I would probably rank I would probably rank more higher than Wilson rest of season still but it is is very close between those two
0: reference Elijah Moore this week This week, ranked as Paulson's wide receiver, 41, Garrett Wilson, 37, and Corey Davis, 43. Just all jumbled up together with no real way to predict who's actually going to lead this team in receiving. On the other side of the ball this week, though, Paulson, quickly, I know you want to talk about Teddy Bridgewater, who is a viable streaming option. Um, I was in the 4-4 Discord, and I already put in that I like the Dolphins laying the field goal this week. I, I think the Dolphins may have the best quarterback in this matchup.
1: Yeah, Teddy uh, has been pretty good when he's had an opportunity uh, to play, and he's got his best weapons probably of his career with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell. Um, uh, Chase Edmonds is a good pass catching uh, running back. Uh, So, and a pretty good scheme going there. So, I think he is, you know, you could pretty much pick him up off the waiver wire and get a decent start out of him this week.
0: Any thoughts, Sam, before we get out of here on I know this is from left field, but Gabriel Davis who has now seen his target share decrease in every game, leading to a season-low 8% target share this past week. Uh, of course, his last two appearances have also been post-injury from week two.
2: You know, it's interesting because he has a very similar profile to Allen Robinson and his usage right now, but I really want to believe in Gabe Davis <laughs> a lot more, I think, just with the way that offense is and who the quarterback that's throwing the ball to Gabe Davis is I, I tend to lean towards buying more on Gabe Davis than I would Allen Robinson for sure. And again, the fact that the Bills currently lead the league in pass rate over expectation, I think uh, the ankle injury. I don't know how much that is impacting Davis, but I you can't start Davis by any means this week. But if I see one good week of usage from him I'll be ready to to start him again
0: let's give them both scenarios Paulson between Isaiah McKenzie and Khalil Shakur Uh, Shakur of course only playable if McKenzie is ruled out with that concussion McKenzie an amazing option I think against the Steelers if he's active for this game where are you ranking both if McKenzie starts and if McKenzie sits
1: yeah, and just back to Gabe Davis, I think the ankle is – I saw some footage of him running routes, and he's not able to cut off of it like he has been, and he's not a fantastic separator uh, route runner as it stands, so he has to get as much separation as he can so that he can make his contested catches. Uh, so what you're looking for, I think, with Gabe Davis is that he starts to get in some full practices, uh, maybe we see some footage that looks better, and that ankle heals I think he's a really nice fantasy asset rest of season if that ankle doesn't bother him all year. Uh, On the flip side, your question, John, um, I have McKenzie in all my actively managed leagues. He was definitely a player I was targeting late. I was touting him. And now that Jamison Crowder is out of the way for probably eight weeks or more, uh, that slot role is going to be his if he's healthy. Uh, I think he's... I think it's a wheels up situation. If he's able to play, they might limit him a little bit this week if he is a go because of that really hard hit that he took. He told uh, on a podcast he said that it was the hardest hit he's ever taken uh, in football. So I am a little questionable whether or not he's going to play. So I don't have him in the in the rankings right now. I have Shakir at forty eight, so he's sort of in that uh, you know wide receiver four, wide receiver five, you know dart throw type option but when you look at this uh team as a whole right now this passing game as a whole they are facing the uh pittsburgh steelers who are 26 adjusted fantasy points allowed to receivers uh diggs is obviously gonna carry the load uh gabe davis is gimpy so it is if it is shakira in that third role he might actually be the number two option uh dawson knox might be the number two option and they're gonna outproduce where i have them ranked Uh, i currently have davis at 28 and i'm just hoping that we get a full practice uh, and some, you know, more health on that ankle uh, as we get through this week. Um, so that's how I look at it. If McKenzie does play, I'll have him ranked uh, higher than where Shakir is right now. But there is a little bit of a worry that they'll rotate him with Shakir um, just as he gets through this one week after that really hard hit that he took.
0: The rest of your start set questions can be answered by going to 44.com and checking out Paulson's week. Five rankings, Paulson. What else do you have on the site for everyone this week?
1: Well, uh, got to finish up sneaky starts uh, today, doing the podcast, of course on on Friday, and uh, working with uh, Jeff Hicks, who's going to be writing the uh, breakout receiver model uh, weekly for us.
0: Sam, what else
1: on the site?
2: Hop into cl- two conclusions out this morning. We'll have the uh, season-long expected fantasy points model article out. Tomorrow morning and as always, charts on charts.
0: Anthony and Paulson, as he mentioned, will be back on Friday. TG Hernandez and myself on the DFS MVP show live 6 p 630 p.m. Eastern on Friday. until then. Good luck this week. be a little bit kinder than what's required. We'll see you next time.